Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward all the brothers, sisters who came out to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to review some of the ayat. Again, hidayat from the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, revive our iman. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he speaks about the Quran, he says, إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَذِكْرَى لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ قَلْبٌ أَوْ أَلْقَ السَّمَعَى وَهُوَ شَهِيدٌ Verily, this Quran is a source of remembrance, admonition, advice. لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ قَلْبٌ For whoever has a heart, uh, a heart that is salim, a heart that is focused, and he listens attentively and he's physically and mentally, spiritually present, insha'Allah. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wa minan nasi man ya'budullaha ala harf, fa'in asabahu khayrun itma anna bih. وَإِنْ أَصَابَتْهُ فِتْنَةٌ إِنْقَلَبَ عَلَىٰ وَجْهِهِ خَسِرَ الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ ذَلِكَ هُوَ الْخُسْرَانِ الْمُبِينِ يَدْعُو مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ مَا لَا يَضُرُّهُ وَمَا لَا يَنْفَعُهُ ذَلِكَ هُوَ الضَّلَالُ الْبَعِيدِ يَدْعُو لَمَنْ ضَرُّهُ أَقْرَبُ مِنْ نَفْعِهِ لَبِئْسَ الْمَوْلَى وَلَبِئْسَ الْعَشِيرِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُدْخِلُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارُ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَفْعَلُ مَا يُرِيدُ من كان يظن أن لن ينصره الله في الدنيا والآخرة فليمدد بسبب إلى السماء ثم ليقطع فلينظر هل يذهبن كيده ما يغيظ وكذلك أنزلناه آيات بينات وأن الله يهدي من يريد إن الذين آمنوا والذين هادوا والصابئين والنصارى والمجوس والذين أشركوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَفْصِلُ بَيْنَهُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ شَهِيدٍ أَلَمْ تَرَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ يَسْجُدُ لَهُ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَالشَّمْسُ وَالْقَمَرُ وَالنُّجُومُ وَالْجِبَالُ وَالشَّجَرُ وَالدَّوَابُ وَكَثِيرٌ مِنَ النَّاسِ وَكَثِيرٌ حَقَّ عَلَيْهِ الْعَذَابُ وَمَنْ يُهِنِ اللَّهُ فَمَا لَهُ مِنْ مُكْرِمٍ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَفْعَلُ مَا يَشَاءُ Inshallah, we will see how far we get uh, today. So Mufti Adimuddin is uh, traveling, and inshallah, he will join us uh, next week. So I'm here substituting for him. Over here in Surah Al-Hajj, we have different groups mentioned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks in the ayat that precedes this ayah number 11, where we're beginning about the kafirun, the mushrikun, those who are openly exp- um, expressing their kufr, their disbelief. And that is one group. Over here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning another group. May Allah protect us from being among this one. And these are the mutadabdibun. They are going back and forth. They're not persisting in their kufr, but they're not much better either. Um, because tadabdub means to have confusion, to have doubt, to keep on fluctuating, going one way, then moving back, taking one step forward, one step back, not having consistency, not having istiqama, steadfastness. And um, the reality of iman is such that there is no scope in it for shak and doubt. 
Right? That's the reality of Iman. Al-Imanu la yakbalu shak. The reality of Iman is that it does not have the scope for having doubt. What counts is only that Iman that is based on conviction and yaqeen that the Quran is the book of Allah without having any doubt that Allah is the is a the supreme being without having doubt Allah Ta'ala mentions right in the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah Alif Lam Mim Dhalik Al-Kitabu La Rayba Fi this is the book in which there is no doubt and this is a major difference there could be no starker difference in fact between Iman and Amal Iman is something in which there is no scope for any weakness uh, if a person says that you know I have 99% belief in the Quran being the word of Allah or Muhammad being the prophet of Allah uh, any of the articles of faith amantu billahi wa malaikatihi wa kutubihi rasulihi yawm al-akhiri and qadr khayri wa shari min Allah ta'ala all of these ba'ath ba'ad al-mawt are the articles of faith if a person na'udhu billah says I have 99% belief in Allah or the malaika or the books or the prophets or the qadr or the day of judgment it's just like having 0% right? 99% um has no value. Nothing less than 100% is acceptable when it comes to belief. And when it comes to practice, then it can never be 100%. So no matter how beautiful a person worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, externally he follows the fiqh of the ibadah, internally he make, works on the tazkiyah, both the external and internal dimension. A person works hard on a, to try to improve it. It can never be 100%. Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Subhanallah Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam His ibadah is the most perfect And he said Oh Allah I can never worship you The way you deserve to be worshipped And mathematically All of us are finite human beings And Allah is infinite in his, in his that and sifat In his being and attributes And the finite can never fulfill the rights of the infinite So we can never truly worship Allah The way he deserves to be worshipped and that is why Rasulullah after performing the salah, he would say, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. So ibadah can never be 100% and iman can never be less than 100%. Now these people that Allah is speaking about in these ayah, they're not, they're not 100% in their iman itself. The ibadah, of course, there's going to be deficiency. No deficiency is acceptable in iman and no scenario without deficiency is possible with amal. Always there will be deficiency in amal and there can never be deficiency in iman. The deficiency in the iman is not acceptable from the perspective quantity-wise and quality-wise. Kamman wa kaifan. Kamiya is quantity and kafiya is quality. What does that mean? Kamiya quantity-wise, if a person says, I believe in 113 surahs or 130 out of the 114. Right. There are how many surahs? 114. So if a person says, I believe in 113, or I believe in 113.999, so this is kamiya, quantity-wise. He's disbelieving, na'udhu billah, a person disbelieves in one ayah, or one, one word, or one letter, one harakah of the Qur'an. A person makes inkar of it, rejects it, that's kufr. That's like disbelieving in the totality. That's kamiya. Kafiya is, yeah, I mean, I believe it, but then maybe I don't believe it. Na'udhu Billah. So, so Allah Ta'ala speaks about such people. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ 
This is a min of tab'id, means some of the people, ba'adun nas. Wuminan nas, amongst the people, man are such. This is a relative noun, right? It's a mosul, man, some people. Wuminan nas, amongst the people, are man such. When the, the Quran was written in the era of Rasulullah and again compiled in the era of Uthman ibn Affan, Abu Bakr anhu, and thereafter by Uthman ibn Affan, they did not have harakat. And not only did it did not have harakat, it did not also have uh, dots. Right. So this first min and the second man, very different. This the first one is meme has a kasra min. The second one, meme has a fatha man. So they have very different meanings. Min is a harful jar, it is an article. Uh, it, it means, over here it means some. Muminanna, some of the people. And then man means are those such. Uh, this is a relative noun, those. Those are those people who do what? Ya'budullah, worship Allah. Ala harfin. On an edge. So harfun tarfun. Harf that it is uh, is the edge. When we study grammar syntax nahu, right? The article, the the words that we use in speech are divided into three categories. Al kalimatu ala thalasati aqsamin ismun wa fi'lun wa harfun. Ism a noun, fi'il a verb, and harf, which is a particle. So. The discussion is there that, oh, what's a harf? Like this min is a harf. The first letter, wow, in this eye is also a harf. It's a conjunction, and. So this and, and to, and from, ila, fi, these are all huruf. So why is a harf called a harf? It is because, وَيْسَمَّ حَرْفًا لِبُقُوعِهِ فِي الْكَلَامِ حَرْفًا أَيْ طَرْفًا The reason a harf is called a harf is because the actual words that make up sentences are nouns and verbs and these prepositions and these small these conjunctions they are just on the side so harf actually means to be on the on the side so for if you say for example um, uh, Zaid is in the masjid so Zaid is an important part of the sentence masjid is an important part of the sentence in or on top, or beneath, these are all huruf. Right? And huruf are on the side. So harf means to be on the side. وَمِنَ nas Amongst the people, men are such people, Ya'budullah, they are worshipping Allah, but ala harf, just on the side. On the edge. It says in the translation here, as if he is teetering on the outermost edge of faith. So this, this whole translation is coming from the word, Harf. فَإِنْ أَصَابَهُ خَيْرٌ If good befalls him, if he gets profit, benefits, إِطْمَأَنَّ بِهِ إِطْمِنَان He has peace with it. He's happy. So if, if he's worshipping Allah and he, there's profits, there's um, good health and wealth and safety, security, prosperity, إِطْمَأَنَّ بِهِ He's at peace. He's at إِطْمِنَان This is the right religion. It's okay, I'll continue with this. وَإِنْ أَصَابَتْهُ فِتْنَةٌ But if a test befalls him. Fitna, فَتْنَا يَفْتُنُ The linguistic meaning of fitna is how they would 
test the gold to see its purity. So it would be, they would take the gold and they would heat it up and melt it to see how pure it is. So the test to, to see who is pure and who is impure, who is true and who is false in their claim, that is a fitna, a test. In asabatu fitna, and if he over here is translated as a trial befalls him, in qalaba he turns. In qilab is like a revolution, the government is overthrown. Qalb is the condition of the heart, which is always turning from this side to that side, it's always beating. So change is qalb. In the students of Tajweed, oh, the, uh, the noon turns into a ba, mim ba'di. Noon turns into a, a, a meme with a ba after it. So this qalb, qalb is changing. This guy, what happens? In qalaba, he turns around, he changes. Ala wajhi, like you're facing in one direction, this is your watch, your face. You turn around, you face the opposite side. 180 degrees. He turns about face. So he's going in one direction towards Allah, towards the deen, apparently, but then he turns his face. In qalaba, ala wajhi, on his face. Khasira dunya wal akhira, then he loses out. Khasira khusran, what's khusran? Losing. Ad dunya wal akhira, the good of this world and the bliss of the hereafter. Khasira dunya wal akhira. Thalika huwa al khusran al mubin. Thalika, that is the khusran al mubin, the most manifest lost. Mubin is clear. It's manifest. There's no doubt about it. So that's just uh, going over the words. Now going back, what does it mean here? He's worshipping Allah on the edge. So this is a mithal, a, a, a tashbih, a similitude Allah is presenting. There is no uh, actual physical edge he's standing on. But Allah Ta'ala is giving an example of a person. One is if you are standing in a solid foundation, then uh, your position is safe and inshallah you will continue to be uh, standing there until you of course choose to move on but if you are standing on the edge of the ledge uh, right right at the corner of a uh, of a canyon for example or any da- dangerous position then you 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 are not guaranteed that you will remain there if a gust of wind blows or some uh, so, or even if you're just startled by something you may lose your balance and you may fall down so such is the condition of this person. So he's right on the edge. Um, if there's any bad condition, there's an economic downturn, um, things are not going the way he planned, ahwal, conditions change, then he'll fall down. He's not on solid footing. This is the per- example of this person. So th- this is referring to some of the people. This was one tabaqa, one group in the time of Rasulullah wasallam. When Nabi wasallam came to Madinah Manawara and he made hijrah, there were different tabaqa, different groups of people. Amongst them were these uh, people known as the Al-Munafiqoon, the hypocrites. So they said, hey, let's join this new deen, check it out. And it seems like it's going to be good. So when there were spoils of war and there was a victory in Badr, then they were very happy. But then when the difficult times came, challenges came, then they, they left the deen, a'udhu billah. فَيْنَ صَابَهُ خَيْرٌ When the good conditions come, they're happy. This is in stark contrast with the condition of the mu'minun, the true believers. And that is worth noting. And we can truly appreciate the condition of the muhajirun and ansar, the mu'minun, the kamil, the true believers, when we compare it with these individuals.
Their condition was such that they remained, they remained steadfast no matter how difficult the trials were. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just like He's describing this group, Allah ta'ala described the righteous ones too. Allah ta'ala in many different ayat explained how subhanallah, they remained steadfast. For example, if we, uh, Surah Al-Ahzab, which we covered here on Tuesday nights, we see the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about uh, the battle of the ditch, where a lot of different things were all added up. You had what? Long siege, a battle. But it wasn't just a one, two, three day battle or three night. What was it? A long drawn out siege. Then what else was it? Severe cold. Then hunger, starvation. Then fear. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَبَلَغَتِ الْقُلُوبُ الْحَنَاجِرِ Your hearts were coming out to your, to the, your mouths, to your throats. Shadida, you are shaken to your core. The believers were tested. You were shaken. So, those who are the true mu'minun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about them that the more severe the trials were, the more difficult the trials were, they did not uh, shake in their in their iman. Some of them, they gave the ultimate sacrifice of their lives, and the other group is waiting eagerly for their turn. They, they did not waver. They were steadfast. Allah Akbar. When Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was giving da'wah in the camps of Mina during the Meccan era, before Hijrah, and he would go to the different camps and he would say, Who will aid me in my mission? Who will respond to my call? So Hajj was taking place even in the Jahiliyyah. And this was a big source of revenue and income for the government of Mecca, uh, the government of that time. So there was a lot, and some things don't change. So they, they, uh, the, the, the mushrikun, they, they had a lot of, um, they promoted the, the hajj, and this was a source of their power, soft power over the Arabian tribes. And this showed that they were the supreme tribe, the Quraysh, the descendants of Fahar ibn Malik, the Quraysh. So all these tribes would come, and they would, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi would be going from tent to tent. And Abu Lahab and other mushrikun enemies would be attacking him from behind saying, don't listen to him, he's majnoon, don't listen to him. Na'udhu Billah. So there was the Aus tribe and the Khazar tribe from Yathrib, which was the name of Medina prior to Hijrah. They are the ones, the first ones who responded to his call. And the reason behind that was they were already conditioned. And it was easier for them to accept the truth because they were exposed to the Ahlul Kitab, the Yehud. And uh, the Ahlul Kitab, who believed in Allah, they believed in Musa salam, they believed in Torah. So the concept of Allah, the concept of Wahi, the concept of Anbiya, they were familiar. Moving forward, on top of that, they knew there was a final Prophet coming because they had been hearing about it so long. From whom? From the Banu Qarayla, Banu Qainuqa, Banu Nadir, the Jewish tribes, 
Allah Ta'ala mentions Surah Al-Baqarah وَكَانُوا مِنْ قَبْلُوا يَسْتَفْتِحُونَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا They used to tell the Arab tribes, the Aus and Khazraj, these were the five tribes, three Jewish, two Arabs. They would, the three Jewish tribes would tell the two Arab tribes that we are going to believe in the final prophet, he's actually going to migrate here to this city and by believing in him and by supporting him and under his leadership we will defeat you. How wrong they were, right? When the Prophet came that they recognized him finally, then they denied him, they rejected him. So the curse of Allah and those who deny the truth after knowing it. So they heard about this. They knew a final Prophet is coming. For example, the Banu Thaqif of Taif. Did they have any people believing in Wahi, Revelation, Prophets living in Taif? No, it was pure Mushrik city. So that's why it was harder for them. Right? The, and the Aus and Khazrat, when they heard Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam saying, Mayyawini, Mayansurani, who will believe in me, who will support me, I am the Messenger of Allah. They said, wait a second. Flashback, deja vu. Didn't we hear about this? Okay, let's beat the Yahud. They didn't have to worry about that. There was, there was not much competition there. Right? They were, they were going to deny. Why were they denying? Because he's from Banu Ismail, not from Banu Israel. The other side of the family. Uh, so, uh, so then. They accepted Islam. And this is a place that is still marked in Mina where they took the pledge on the hand of Rasulullah The first pledge, Bayah Aqaba al-Ula, and the second pledge, Bayah Aqaba Thaniya. It was a hidden pledge, secret pledge that they took, hiding from the Mushrikun. And in that, when they took that pledge, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gave them da'wah. How is this related to this? And we're coming to it very soon, quickly. Is when... Uh, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave da'wah along with him was his uncle Abbas radiallahu anhu Abbas radiallahu anhu had accepted Islam but he was the agent of Rasulullah sallallahu in Makkah and he would give Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the news of what's happening that is why he did not make hijrah he stayed in Makkah on behalf of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam even though he had accepted Islam so he was present here with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and at the opportunity of this pledge so when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave them da'wah and they accepted Islam are you are you going to believe in me, Allah, and Malaika, Kutub, Rasul, ila akhiri? They said yes. And are you ready to take the shahada? So, subhanallah, Abbas radiallahu anhu, he said, hold on. Before you take this final pledge, I want to give you all the terms and conditions. They said, what is that? He said that you know that when you accept Islam, what will happen? All the Arab tribes will turn against you. You will be left stranded alone. And many of your wives will become widows. Many of your children will become orphans. And your wealth will end up being spent in the path of defending this deen. And you will have severe challenges. Are you ready for this? Just know what you're signing on to before you sign the dotted line. So then they looked at Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and they said, "What your uncle is saying, Abbas, is this true?" So Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "The reality is, it is true. That these tests and trials will come." So then they asked Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, "So if you remain steadfast with these tests and trials, what do we get?" So Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "There is a promise of Jannah. You will be my companions in Jannah." So all of the participants in the Aqaba pledge, without a second's hesitation, they took out their hands at that moment, without a second delay. 
and they said we are ready to take the bayah, the pledge. Subhanallah. So this is not, uh, uh, over here what it says when a trial befalls him he turns about his face no this was not the behavior of the they were not like this so when we see the behavior of the munafiqun it's an opportunity for us to also reflect on the behavior of the mu'minun may Allah Ta'ala allow us to be inspired to be, remain steadfast like them and protect us from falling into the behavior of, the mushrik, of these hypocrites these hypocrites, they lost the dunya and the akhirah. This is the Khusran al-Mubin, the biggest loss. There is a beautiful history we have, centuries upon centuries, of our pious aslaf and predecessors who remain steadfast in the most difficult tests and trials. Many of them have been, those stories have been collected by different authors in different books. Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Uddha, rahimahullah, uh, he has written a beautiful book, Safahat min Sabr al-Ulama ala shadaid we talk specifically about ulama in that work where safahat pages some selected pages what is he, why is he calling it safahat pages he's, he's saying that these are only a few pages it's a big book but he's saying based on if you compare it with the glorious history of generations of people who are so patient it's only a few pages I'm presenting here min sabril ulama ala shadaid of stories of the endurance and the persistence and the istiqama of the ulama on very very difficult conditions and uh, when we talk about stories of the past it seems like okay very far away in the past it's not far away in the past it's not only it's not only in the near past it's actually what in the present too in the present there are people who are undergoing great tests in the present but are not giving up their iman but we are so weak, we seek protection of Allah from such tests. What's happening to the Uyghur Muslims in occupied Turkmenistan, which is, right, which the Chinese government is controlling? How severe the tests and trials are upon them? How severe the tests and trials are upon different nations, different people who are being oppressed? But they are not giving up their iman. This level of torture and compulsion and uh, when it comes upon a person and a person is compelled by his circumstances the ahkam of the sharia they fall into three categories when a person is, is known as the fiqh uh, ikrah when a person puts a gun to someone's head and says you have to do this or I will blow your brains out so there's th three different conditions in one condition he must do exactly as the person holding the weapon to his head is saying and the second is the opposite where no matter what he cannot do what he is being asked to do if he ends up dying he will die as a shaheed and the third condition is that he has an option he can choose to do what he is being asked or he can choose, to, choose to, to die and he would not be considered suicide there's three different scenarios so the person who is undergoing this test this discussion is coming under the word here fit in this person when he's tested he just gives up what is the test if a person is undergoing this test he has no option to follow what he's being compelled to do he, he literally he if it means to die then he must die but he cannot fulfill the order of the one who is compelling him this is a situation 
when he's asked that you need to kill someone else, otherwise I will kill you. So this is such a situation where um, a person is a gun is put in someone's hand and says that okay, you kill this innocent person, and if you don't kill him, I will kill you. What should he do? Can he kill somebody else to save his own life? It's a very difficult position to be in. It's easy for me or you to say, and it's even easier for you to hear. But the person who is in that circumstance, it's a very difficult position to be in. That you better kill this person, or otherwise I will kill you. So in this situation, he, it is not permissible for him to kill the person. So what's the hukum? The hukum is that he has to die. If he can somehow overcome his enemy, great. If not, then if he, literally he must die. It's not an enviable position to be in. Of course, we understand it's very difficult, but there is no other option. And if he, if he kills the person, he will be guilty of the crime of murder, the sin. And if he dies, he will not be guilty of suicide, rather he will get the thawab of a shaheed. It's a very big test. But because you want to save your life, you cannot kill anyone else. And if someone says, is this such a theoretical discussion which has no actual application? Yes, it does. How so? It's happening all the time. It really is? Yeah. How so? Because if the government asks a soldier to fire into unarmed protesters or even worse, unprovoked you know, village, enter it and shoot all the people. This is happening all the time throughout the world. Different militias, different warring groups. You have to go and just shoot the villagers in their sleep or line them up and massacre them. So many tragedies are happening everywhere in different places. So then if a soldier says, look, if I don't go and kill these people, then what's going to happen? I'm going to be court-martialed. I'll fear the face the firing squad for insubordination, not listening to the order of my superior. So I got to kill, otherwise I will be in trouble. So does that justify it? You cannot. If they're ordered to shoot live ammunition into unarmed protesters, they cannot. So he'll have to say no. If he says no, then you're going to be killed, then he will have to die. So this is the first level of ikra. The opposite extreme is if a person puts a gun to someone's head and makes him do a sin in, which is uh, not harming anyone else. Billah, eat the, drink the wine or eat the swine. Khamar khinzir. So if he says no and he dies, that's a sin. He should commit that because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it halal in the Quran. It's known as makhmasa. Illa mafturirtum ilayh. When Allah mentions that all these things are haram, He says, unless you have to consume these things to save your life. So if there's a person, he does not have anything to eat or drink and he's starving to death or he's dehydrating, he's dying from thirst and he says, oh, you know, the animals are going to grab my body and eat it, to, and eat it up, the, the scavengers, so let me dig my own grave. And he starts digging and he finds a, a bottle of wine. That, what is wine? It's basically rotten grape juice. It's grape juice, you keep it in the fridge, it's nice, you drink it. Then what happens? It gets stale, you throw it out. But you let it, sometimes they would bury it in the underground. And it rots and rots. It gets so bad, it starts froth and coming out, right? It gets fermented, completely rotten. Now it's called wine. Right? So, uh, so he finds this. They used to bury it in the Arabs. Then what, what is he supposed to do? He's followed on him to drink. There's a question, there's a, de, there's a fiqh debate about how much. 
right? Just a little bit to survive and continue sipping on it until he finds someone can help him out. So it is halal. In fact, it is a follow on him to save his life. So in this case, he must follow what the, what the, the compelling person is with the gun on his head saying he must. Third situation is where you have an option. When do you have an option? When it's not an amal of a sin, but rather it's an aqidah issue. If someone puts a gun to someone's head and says that you must say a kalima of kufr, you must renounce Islam, na'udhu billah, and say any kalima of kufr. I don't even want to give examples of kalimat of kufr. So there are certain kalimat, if a person says those kalimat, will become a kafir. Words of disbelief in Allah. And he says, uh, he has an option here. Option, what does that mean? Option means that if he says those words to save his life, he's not a kafir. His iman is in his heart. And if he does say those words, yeah, and if he says those words, his iman is safe. And if he doesn't say it, he says, no, I'll continue to say, la ilaha illallah. Then he will not be considered suicide. This ayah is revealed, there's an ayah revealed about this in the Quran. There was a, the first family of shuhada. The mother was Sumayya, the wife. The husband was Yasir. And the child was Ammar. So they were three being tormented, tormented in Makkah. Not the first woman who became shaheed, but the first shaheed of Islam overall is Sumayyaradana. Just like some people say the first woman who accepted Islam is Khadija. She's not the first woman who accepted Islam. She is the first Ummati, period, is Khadija radiallahu anha. So the first Ummati is Khadija radiallahu anha. The first shaheed is Sumayya radiallahu ta'ala anha. She was martyred. They were, she was forced to say kalima of kufr, otherwise we'll kill you. And she did not say it till the end. She was not yasabatu fitnatun inqalaba ala waji. No, absolutely not. No inqalaba ala waji. She didn't turn on her face. She ended up becoming a shaheed. Then it was Yasser's turn, they brought him. I'm saying these things are not all oh, 1400 years ago. It's happening today too. It's happening today. Inqalaba, so what happened? He also became shaheed. Then it was poor Yasser's, Ammar's turn, radiallahu anhu. Allah Akbar. So he was younger and he ended up saying Kalim of Kufr. And he saved his life. When did he, he say, this is 13 years in Makkah he survived. 10 years in Medina of Rasulullah's life he survived. Two and a half years of Abu Bakr's Khilafah he was there. 10 and a half years of Umar's Radiallahu Khilafat he was there. 12 years of Usman Khilafat he was there. Ali Radiallahu Khilafat four years. In, he was finally killed. In the, in the, in the battle of Safin, in the time of Ali radiallahu anhu. And the reason this is a significant death is because Rasulullah had prophesied, some rebels will kill him. He will die on the hand of rebels. So there were the rebels who were destroying the Muslim Khilafat and these munafiqun hypocrites and the henchmen of Abdullah bin Sabah who actually, finally, he died then. He was killed. So he survived. He lived for decades. Now, when he said the Kalim of Kufr, then the Mu'minun were there. This is the early Muhajirun, early Ummah. Very few people were there. Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah, Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas, Abdurrahman ibn Awf. You know, he says, Kuntu Sudsul Ummah. I remember I myself was the one-sixth of the whole Ummah. Right? So, very few people around. So, they, he said, uh, Subhanallah, this, they felt very sad. Oh, he lost his Iman. He became a kafir now. He's a murtad. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, no, that's not the case. His iman is 
complete. Allah Ta'ala says, إِلَّا مَنْ أُكْرِهَا وَقَلْبُهُ مُطْمَئِنٌ بِالْإِيمَانِ Allah has given exemption for the one who is compelled to say a kalima of kufr and his heart is filled with iman. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala testified to his iman in the Quran and Rasulullah testified to his iman as well. So subhanAllah they remained strong despite no matter how great the trials were. Whereas these people were just out for worldly benefit. They invite calling on to their gods besides Allah. لا يضروه لا ينفعه can neither harm them can neither benefit them لا يضروه meaning if you disbelieve in these gods and abandon their worship they're not going to harm you if you do worship them and loyal to them they're not going to benefit you لا يضروه they will not harm they will not benefit ذلك هو الضلال البعيد this is the uttermost point of misguidance when we hear about these idols we think oh you know what that was a long time ago they're worshipping the idols uh, in the in the Kaaba, and we're not going to do that. Why would we do that? So there is still idol worship taking place, just like I spoke about earlier. When you talk about these mujahidat and sacrifices still happening, likewise, worshiping idols still happens. Sometimes uh, when we would have pests, you know, we have this um, in pest control, insect control would come and put the poison. So he was, I used to walk around in the beginning, I'll help him, uh, show him the places. So he said that, uh, oh, this is a mosque, right, a place of worship. I also do the pest control in the Hindu temple. I said, okay, so he said, there are a lot of issues they have there. And everyone has their different profession, they have their different perspectives, right? So I said, how is that? He said, because um, they leave all the, um, all the food and the fruits for their gods. He's <laughs> an American man. Uh, so all the flies... And fruit flies. It's a breeding ground for fruit flies. That's why they keep on calling me for pest control. And I'm thinking, why are you leaving all this food for these gods? They're not going to eat the fruit. And the insects are coming in the fruit, and they call me to kill the insects. So this is ajeeb, because when he said that, the eye across my mind, Allah Ta'ala speaks about that in the Quran. That uh, these are such gods that they have no power that if a fly comes to eat their food, they cannot even ward off the fly and you're, worship, you're worshipping them. And this is what the insect repellent uh, in pest control was talking about. Still happening. Anyway, we are not uttermost point of misguidance. Now the beloved, we are not there. However, there's another big God that we, worship, that we are involved in. May Allah protect us and free us from the slavery of that God. Who is that? Ara'ayta man ilahahu hawah. That's the one we are all in still suffering from. Have you seen the one? Have you seen? Have you seen? Allah is asking a question. The one who has made ilahahu hawa. His God is his desires. Hiddenism, worshipping the ego, the self, the desires. I don't think we can ever fall into this one. But we can never be, we can never, uh, you know, be ma'moon and say, no, that's never going to happen. We always have to seek protection of Allah. Ibrahim from childhood, what was his profession? Breaking the idols. And he still made dua, Wajnubni, not only for ki- others, for him, ki- his kids, himself. Wajnubni wa baniya, al-na'bud al-asunama. Oh Allah, save me and my progeny from worshipping these idols. So we always have to seek protection from every major sin. Somebody, he, under, he underwent a, a long journey in trek. 
just like sometimes if we are righteous enough then we will try to go and visit a sheikh or an alim and get his duas so he undertook a long journey to go and visit a very pious person and finally when he came to him he was excited now this pious person he went to meet was engaged in dua he was overcome by his hirs and his desire to benefit that he did something which otherwise is not right and not permissible which is he started coming closer to overhear spy on his dua <laughs> he thought maybe I'll learn something and he heard him he was making dua Allahumma inni a'udhu bika mina zina oh Allah I seek your protection from zina he was so shocked that I came from so far to benefit from this old senior sheikh and he's seeking protection from zina of all things so he got so overcome by his emotions that he ended up blurting loudly he said لَقَدْ صَحِبْتَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ oh Abu Huraira, you are a companion of Rasulullah it wasn't just a random shaykh who was it? Abu Huraira you are the gold medalist of the madrasa of Sufa of Rasulullah you are the top student of the madrasa you graduate from where? Kharijo Madrasati Rasulullah top narrator of hadith from the madrasa of Rasulullah and you are so old and you are seeking protection from zina at this age he said he caught his hand he didn't he could have started off by saying why are you spying on my dua do not spy on one another Surah Al-Hujurat he didn't say that though he, went, he caught his hand and he said okay fine forget about the spying part we'll address that issue later perhaps but he asked him I have one question is shaitan alive? is Iblis himself alive? not some chota mota some small shaitan Iblis himself is he alive or not? what did Allah Ta'ala say? In the Quran, Rabbi Andrini ila yom yubathun, O my Lord, give me respite till the last day, till the day of resurrection. Qala inna kaminal mudarin. I give you respite till the last day. So he said, if Iblis is still alive, we need to seek protection. The one who feels he's immune from the attack of shaitan will be lost, will fall right there. Anyway, we won't, inshallah, inshallah, we hope, fadl of Allah, that we will not fall into worshiping idols. And Allah protect us from that. However, this is a big God. We have to free ourselves from that worship of, which is our desires. The harm of this worshiping them is surer than the benefit. The presumed benefit. There is no benefit. From their perspective, if you feel there's a benefit, Allah Ta'ala is saying the harm is much nearer, aqrab. Just like Allah Ta'ala speaks about Himself, the best caretaker of the affairs. Here is Bi's al Mawla, the worst caretaker, the worst, the worst person. Hashir is the one you stay with, the companion. So whenever Allah Ta'ala speaks about the munafiqun kafirun, He also speaks about the believers on the other side. Inna Allah, verily Allah, yudkhirul ladhina amanu will enter those who believe wa amilu salihat and do righteous actions. So these two things are always bracketed. One is internal belief and one is practically doing good deeds. If a person says, I have iman, I just have belief, he doesn't do righteous deeds, it's incomplete. Hey, where's your iman? Prove it. A person does righteous deeds without iman, that's hypocrisy. The true munafiq will have what? A lot of good deeds. To put up his act. He doesn't have what? Iman. The one who has good deeds without Iman is a munafiq. The one who has Iman without good deeds is a fasiq. One's a fasiq, one's a munafiq. The one who has Iman and Amal Salih, both is the Kamil Mu'min. Waliul Ashiq. So we have munafiq, fasiq, and waliul Ashiq. 
So the one who has iman, amanu They're always bracketed together. One without the other is not sufficient for salvation. The one who believes and does righteousness. For them, jannatin gardens, min tahatil anhar, underneath which rivers flow. Meaning underneath the palaces. Sometimes you think, what if, underneath what? If you have an earth, and then underneath the earth, underground rivers? What is this? Tahtiha al-anar, underneath. Beneath which? Meaning, there will be lofty palaces, lofty on top. They'll be looking down. The rivers are not like underneath. Maybe they are underground as well, but um, they are visible. Which anhar? Fiha anharu min ma'in ghayri asin, pure water. Anharu min labanin, milk. The sifat of milk is the first thing when you think about milk is what? Will it go off? Will it, right? Will it um, spoil? So that, that's why Allah Ta'ala says, لَمْ يَتَغَيِّرْ طَعْمُ Which will never spoil. وَأَنْهَارٌ مِنْ عَسَلْ Honey, مُصَفَّى, pure honey. And أَنْهَارٌ مِنْ خَمَرْ Of wine. لَذَّةً لِشَارِبِينَ Pure enjoyment for those who drink. Again, when you think of wine, you'll think of, oh, it's going to intoxicate. لَا يُصَدَّعُونَ عَنْهَا وَلَا يُنْزِفُونَ they will neither be intoxicated from that nor will it call any headache, no um, hangover. Subhanallah. So these are the anhar. When they're looking from on top, it will be beneath. Otherwise, it's not underground. In Allah does whatever He intends. Whoever He enters into Jannah is through His fadal. Whoever He enters into Jahannam is through His adal. Worst case scenario is adal. I've mentioned that many times. Justice is as bad as it can get because there will be no dhulm. Allah will not do them. So whoever goes in Jahannam is through his adal, his justice. Whoever enters Jannah is through his father, through his grace. Yafalu ma yurid. So in the possibility-wise, you give somebody exactly what they deserve is adal. You give them more than what they deserve is fadal. You give them less than what they deserve is zulm. So zulm doesn't exist. Allah will give what they deserve all the people in Jahannam. Allah will give more than what they deserve all the people in Jannah. Nobody enters Jannah based on what they deserve. That's who, that, right? The Sahaba asked Rasulullah, what about you? You will enter Jannah based on your actions? He said, no. Unless Allah covers me with his fadl. That's why in the interfaith when they say, oh, Christians say, you know, we have Jesus, God, the Christ, he's our savior. You Muslims are so arrogant. You think you will enter paradise based on your actions. You don't have a savior. God sent down His only begotten Son to die on the cross as our, His Savior. Whoever believes He's our Savior will enter paradise. So what do we say? Will we enter heaven based on our good deeds? No, we also have a Savior. Who's our Savior? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, this tafsir is mentioned under يَفْعَلُ مَا يُرِيدُ يُدْخِلُ الْجَنَّةِ بِفَضْلِهِ وَيُدْخِلُ النَّارَ بِعَدْلِهِ مَنْ كَانَ يَظُنُّ Okay. The person who thinks that Allah will not help his prophet in this world in the hereafter. He says, oh, how can, he wants to stop the help of Allah. Now, this is an interesting ayah where we, it's an example where there are multiple different tafsirs based on the wording. And we can go back, I mean, there's like three, four. I'll try to limit it to two, right? To not make it too technical. I have to hold myself back, not make it too technical. But it's interesting to see how the words are known, the meanings are there, but you can have com- like two, I'm just giving you a heads up because you don't get confused if you're going in, zoning in, out, in, out. Then if you hear half of the first meaning and half of the second, you're going to be pretty confused, right? So there are two completely different interpretations of this ayah. But it's obviously the same wording. 
So what happens here, the, this transition is just one of them. So let's do the transition that's here. This person, he says, hey, he is filled with anger, he's filled with rage, and he's, he's, he's angry when he sees the help of Allah on Rasulullah He sees the deen is spreading, he sees Muhammad has success, Badr, and then after Ahzab, and the tribes are accepting Islam, Afwajan, groups and groups are entering the fall of Islam. So what's happening? He's getting more and more upset and angry and angry. He's burning inside. Right? This is what? Hasad. When you see the success of someone, he's getting more and more successful and you are burning. This is such a self-destructive sin. You are burning inside. Are you harming the object of your envy and your jealousy? No. Who are you harming? Yourself. Anyway, so this person, Allah Ta'ala says, you know what? This is like Allah Ta'ala says another ayah. قُلْ مُوتُوا Die with your anger. What are you going to do? Kill yourself. I don't care. It's very, Allah is showing he's, he's, uh, he's angry with these people who are hasid, who have hasad against the success of the deen, the success of Rasulullah So he says here, فَلْيَمْدُدْ Let them stretch out. بِسَبَبٍ is a rope. إِلَى sama. See, the translation here, here is stretch out a rope to the ceiling. So this word sama, one is a literal meaning of sama and what is a figurative meaning of sama. What's the literal meaning of sama? Sky, exactly. Sama is sky, earth is earth, right? So this translation here, Dr. Mustafa Khattab, the clear Quran, the reference is given. He is giving the figurative meaning, majazi. One is mana al-haqiqi, literal meaning. One is majazi, figurative meaning. For example, if you say, uh, you went to the zoo and you say, ra'itu asadan, I saw a lion. So that's it, a real lion. Hopefully in the side the cage, right? And then if you say the masjid, I enter the masjid. Faraitu asadan ala al-mimbar, and I saw a lion on the member, right? Hopefully it's not the literal one. If it's a literal one, then you know you can pray Juma somewhere else. You can run, <laughs> right? So raitu asadan ala al-mimbar means he's a very energetic, passionate speaker on the member, huh? So anyway, so this haqiqi and majazi. So over here, sama is the sky. But in Arabic they say, Anything that is above you is your sky. So the ceiling, the roof can also be your sky. So over here he says, Let him stretch forth a rope to the ceiling. Sama is translated as ceiling. ثُمَّ yakta. So he, he stretches, when he's putting a rope to the ceiling, this is a very, very sad scenario. May Allah protect us. The level of the janazas of young people is skyrocketing. You don't have necessarily have the data because once in a while, if somebody you know, you'll be invited to the janazah. But alhamdulillah, the people who are still practicing Islam or members of the family, they come to the what? Masjid. So this is what we do. We are always here pretty much in the masjid. Alhamdulillah. So, but what happens when we talk with the different imams? I went to one city, one of my students is an imam. He told me that we had like 26 young people in that city, janazas. Half are OD, half are suicide. The opioid epidemic, pandemic, narcotics, overdosage, ODs. So many. And the other half are suicides. Now the ODs also could be accidental overdosage or suicidal overdosage. Wallahu alam. Toxology report will tell you oh, overdose. But intent behind that, if there's a suicide note or there's not, wallahu alam. So what happens? So he was saying, 
you know, he's telling my student was the Imam in another masjid. He was telling me that at this point, what do we do? When you have the young people's janazah, we don't even ask. If they tell you, oh, there was a car accident or some other thing that worth telling, I mean, that they feel uh, comfortable sharing, then you say, okay, subhanAllah, it was a car accident or whatever. Otherwise, you don't even ask at the, because it could be imahada or madhaq, either a suicide or overdose. So this is, this is what he's talking about here. He, he, he hangs up a rope to the ceiling and then he, put, and he ties it around his neck. Then he cuts. Then he should see. This plan that he adopted, can this end his rage? He's not going to end his rage. So go ahead, literally Allah is saying, go ahead in this ayah, in short, is that go ahead, kill yourself, what are you going to do? Islam is going to prevail. Rasulullah's deen is going to prevail. You can't stop it. If you can't tolerate it, be my guest, kill yourself. But this is going to happen. I mean, I'm not saying this. Who's saying this? Allah is saying it to those people. I know it's very harsh, but that's the harshness. That's the ayah. That's the one translation of the ayah. Everyone clear on that? You see how it comes from the words? Okay. Now the other translation is... That's, that's one whole story narrative of translation. The other one is, okay, man kana yadunnu, the person who thinks, that Allah should not help his Nabi in the dunya and akhirah. You want to stop the help? Okay, try this. Where is the help coming from? From Allah. So you want to go up into the sky. Go up into the sky, stop the wahi. Go up into the sky and stop the revelation. Stop the nusrah, the layyan surah, the nusrah, the help from Allah, go and stop it. Now how are you going to get to the sky? You can't, you can't fly up there. So put, take a rope, stretch it all the way to the sky. We're not talking about the ceiling of where he's suicide now. We're talking about what? The actual samawat all the way. How far are you going to go? Very far, light years away. Go out from the planet earth, go out past the moon, past the solar system, past the Milky Way galaxy past the local cluster of galaxies, super cluster of galaxies, known universe. Keep on going, going, going. How far are you going to go? When you're studying astronomy, then our teacher said that at the end of the universe, do you think there's a sign that says edge of the universe? Then what's beyond that sign? <laughs> right. So beyond that sign, he doesn't know. We know that there's some dunya. Then on top of that, first sky, second sky, third sky, right? What's the proportion? Nabi Sallallahu said, Kal khatami. The size of the second sky to the first sky. The first sky is like a small ring placed in a huge field. That's how big the second to the first is. Same ratio from second to third, third to fourth, fourth to fifth, fifth to sixth, sixth to seventh. Then Muntah, then Kursi, then Arsh, right? Go all the way. Go far as you can go. Trillions, zillions, quad, like un, we have no number of how many light years away. And then Thummal Yakta, instead of cutting himself up, this Thummal Yakta means go stop. Stop what? Stop the wahi. Stop the nusra if you can. Can you? You can. So it's beyond you. You are not going to be able to stop the onward march of the deen of Islam, the spread of the deen of Islam, the nusra that Allah has sent upon his Rasul, the nusra, the wahi that is coming. So this is another beautiful translation that comes from the same words. Likewise, we have revealed this Quran as clear evident signs. When Allah Allah guides, certainly guides whomsoever He wills. You know, if you realize it, look, you see the victory happening, 
and you are still denying the truth. When Rasulullah came from Fatih Makkah, the same Abbas radiallahu an, he was still in Makkah. So before Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam entered into Makkah, the night before, he, he was camping outside the city, outside the mountains. And he told the Sahaba, light your fires, make big fires and spread out. Spread out everyone, don't be together. So Abbas Radlan was the agent of Rasulullah in Makkah. So he told Abu Sufyan, the leader of Makkah, let's go on spying to see what's happening. So they both climbed the mountain and they turned on outside the mountain, they looked. And Abu Sufyan, he saw as far as you can see, right and left and far as the eye could see, what did he see? Campfires. So he said to Abbas, Oh Abbas, your nephew, his kingdom has become quite vast. His army is so strong, 10,000. 313 in brother, another 10,000. So Abbas said, Oh Abu Sufyan, how long are you going to be denying? Ayatin bayinat. Clear evidence signs. This is not a kingdom of my nephew. This is the Nusra from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're still in doubt? When are you going to see the truth? So that's when he started entering his heart. Then he took him down to Rasulullah and he took, accepted Islam. So these are clear signs. If you open your eyes, just open your eyes and you'll see the truth. Allah Ta'ala says here, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Verily those who believe. Different groups are mentioned. وَالَّذِينَ هَادُوا in the Jews, Yehudis. وَالصَّابِئِينَ Sabiin, there are different opinions. Who are these Sabiun? Some say Abadatul Malaika, they worship the angels. Or Abadatul Kawakib, they worship the stars. It's a lost religion. It was in, uh, in the northern Iraq area, Sabi'un. Very few people remain. When Nasara and the Christians, Wal Majus, the Majus were fire worshippers. They believed in two gods Yazdan and Ahruman. Right? The Khaliqul Khair and Khaliqul Shar. Creator of good, creator of evil. The Majus, the fire worshippers uh, in Persia. وَالَّذِينَ أَشْرَكُوا إِنَّ مُشْرِكُونَ All of these different groups. Allah Ta'ala says, إِنَّ اللَّهِ يَفْصِلُ will Allah will verily decide between them on the Day of Judgment. What's the decision? Amanu will have success. Najat, salvation. Hadu, Sabiu, Nasara, Majus, Ashraku, Mushrikun. All of them will be in the Nar, in the fire of Jahannam. إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ شَهِيدٍ Truly Allah is a witness over all things. I mean, there are so many ayat that make it abundantly clear that the only way for salvation is the way of iman. It is shocking that we even have to talk about this topic. But in this age of interfaith, uh, becomes uh, so um, difficult that the Christian, he will come to the podium and say that if you want to enter paradise, you must believe that Jesus Christ was your savior. So, same way the Yahudi would. The Sabiun are not around. But um, the mushrikun, etc. But the Muslim will come and say that, oh, you know, all the paths lead to God. Right? So we, we have to believe that not only we must believe in Muhammad Rasulullah is the Prophet of Allah, we also have to believe that uh, believing in Rasulullah is a condition for salvation, shart for najah. La ilaha illallah will only benefit if it is with Muhammad Rasul. One time there was a rabbinical seminary where they would train the rabbis in Medina called Baytul Midras. And Umar radiallahu anhu, he got a copy of 
the Talmud, which was a commentary of the Torah from there, by the rabbis written. Uh, and uh, he, was read- he came to Rasulullah he started reading it and he said, wow, this is so good. There's some good stuff here. The particular passage was good. And he was reading it. And he was looking down and reading it. He wasn't looking up. He was in a hafiz of the Torah. He was a hafiz of the Quran. And he was looking down and reading it. He couldn't see the reaction on the face of Rasulullah And the face of Rasulullah the color started changing. So Abu Bakr told Umar look up, stop. So Rasulullah said, I swear by the Allah who revealed the original Torah and the Musa. If Musa himself was alive today, there would be no salvation for him, Kalimullah, unless he believed in me. So, what about the corrupted form of that that you're holding onto? Allah Ta'ala took a. How can he say that if Musa was alive, he would be no way. There's no salvation for him unless he were believed in me is because of the promise, the pledge. Allah Ta'ala took a pledge from the Anbiya, like a solemn pledge. Allah took a pledge with the Anbiya, all the Anbiya. By, I ask you by virtue of the knowledge and wisdom I have given you. If that prophet comes in your time, hypothetically, who will testify to the truth of your, the scripture you have? Will you believe in him and will you support him in his mission? Even though it's not going to happen, with respect of one, with the exception of one, who? So they all testified. They said, We testified. You t- you, I bear witness and I'm a witness as well that you will believe in him. Subhanallah. Why are we reminding ourselves? Because we think that, oh, it's all paths to God. Rasulullah in Mi'raj, before Mi'raj, the Isra, in the Isra, what happened? All the Anbiya, Allah Ta'ala brought them down and Nabi Sallallahu was the Imam and they were the Muqtadi in the Baytul Maqdis. May Allah protect it in Jerusalem. In Masjid Al-Aqsa. Physically demonstrating the superiority of Rasulullah or the all the Anbiya. So if those, those Anbiya were not just, okay, we'll end up following him. They were literally a pledge they gave to Allah. So those who claim to follow them and in fact have deviated, then uh, how can we believe that, that, that salvation for them? So salvation is for those who believe in La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, the complete iman. So these hadu, Allah says, Yafsiru baynam, Allah will decide between them, Yawm al qiyamah, in Allah ala kulli shayin shayin. Then Allah Ta'ala says, Look, look around you. Alam tara'ah, do you not see? This ayah is an ayah of sajda. So we should make sajda. It's wajib in fact. Alantara, do you not see that verily Allah? Yes, Judulahu. They are falling into subjugation and submission. This sajda, there's a haqiqi sajda to make a sajda. And then there is what? Uh, a majazi, figurative one. What's a majazi? Majazi is not literal but figuratively, allegorically. That they are in submission. Everything in the heavens and the earth are in submission to Allah. The shams and the qamar. What's shams and qamar? Sun and the moon. Nujum. Stars. Jibal. Mountains. Shajar. Tawab. Trees and the animals. Everything. Many people. But many people are not. Many people, they're deserving of punishment. So everything in existence is worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How they're worshipping Allah is they're fulfilling the command they have been given. 
So every single electron is orbiting, doing, uh, and every neutron and proton and every molecule and every atom fulfilling the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, doing exactly what they are told to do. Sun and the moon in their orbits, as Allah has assigned for them. They don't just uh, rebel against the order of Allah. There's no mutiny in the, in the universe. Everyone is fulfilling the order they have been given. This sajda, as I told you, is which one? Not literal, but figurative. When you're studying you know, uh, any language, there's literature. So you're studying Arabic, there's Arabic adab, and there's Farsi adab. So there was one, when we were studying Farsi once upon a time, there was a book called Latai Farsi. Farsi was a jokes, a joke book. But the purpose of the joke book was to learn, to learn the language, as a, like literature, adab. All kinds of jokes in there. <laughs> Randomly remember some of those jokes. So, Mullah Mushtaq Ahmad Sab, Chartawadi Rahmatullah's book, Latai for Farsi. So, in that book, he, there was a joke that um, because most of the people are falling asleep, so I'm trying to wake you up. It's tied with this. How is it? Is that there was a, a landlord and a tenant. They were having an argument. So, the tenant is complaining to the landlord. That, hey, you're not taking care of the house, you're not upkeeping, I'm paying rent on time, but you got to take care of it. So he said, you see this big beam? The big beam that's holding up the roof, right? It's creaking a lot. It's making this sound, and it's weak. You got to repair it. I'm paying the rent. You got to repair the beam. Structural, you know, there's uh, pillars that are just fake, and then there are those what load-bearing. You know, load-bearing. It's a load-bearing beam. These pillars are beautiful, but you know, I don't think they're load-bearing, huh? <laughs> so it's load-bearing one. It's not a. It's not aesthetic. It's functional. So, so then what? The the landlord said, "Don't worry. It's just doing tasbih, right? It's just doing tasbih, dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa taala." So he said, "Exactly, you're right. I'm worried that he's doing tasbih and tasbih and getting closer to Allah. One day he may fall into sajda." <laughs> So, anyway, so Alam Allah. So the, the things are, they are. Everyone is doing the dhikr of Allah. Every single thing in existence is doing the yusabbihu bihamdihi. Is doing the tasbih of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Walakin la tafqahuna tasbihum. You cannot understand their tasbih. Sometimes the poets they have their takhayyul. They have like a different way of looking at things. So he said, one point said, Batao me raat me shabnam parti hai kis liye? Taake patta patta teri ibadat kare baawazu. Subhanallah. So he said, Batao me raat me parti hai shabnam kis liye? Should I not tell you why there is a dew uh, that comes in the night? I mean the condensation. If you ask the scientist, you will say there is moisture in the environment. Then when the temperature falls at night, right, then what happens? The water condenses. The, uh, and then the condensation occurs. And therefore you see the droplets of water on all the blades of the grass. If it is cold enough, then it will f become solid form and it becomes what? Frost. But otherwise it will be dew, right? So on the, on the uh, subhanAllah, such a fresh water, right? From, on the each, so he says, why, why is there dew? The reason it happens is so that every blade of grass and every leaf of every tree can do your ibadah, O Allah, with fresh wudu. Yeah, so this is the takhayyul of the 
the khayal, the, the, uh, the thought process of the poet. The arif. Anyway, everything is doing ibadah of Allah Ta'ala in his own way. They don't necessarily have to do wudu, right? This is a poem, right? This is his expression. Now you're going to catch me on that. <laughs> this is how a poet speaks. This is his love for Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So the one who has the ma'rif of Allah, he sees Allah everywhere. Somebody asked one Bedouin Sahabi, how do you recognize Allah? What did he say? In al-ba'arata tadullu ala al-ba'ir. In athar al-aqdan tadullu ala al-masir. فَكَيْفَ لَا تَدُلُّ السَّمَاءُ ذَاتُ أَبْرَاجِ وَالْبِحَارُ ذَاتُ أَمْوَاجِ وَالْأَرْضُ ذَاتُ فِجَاجِ عَلَى اللَّطِيفِ الْخَبِيرِ He said, إِنَّ الْبَعْرَةَ تَدُلُّ عَلَى الْبَعِيرِ If I see the droppings of the camel, this indicates the camel went through here because he's speaking based on his environment. وَإِنَّ أَثَارَ الْأَقْدَامَ If I see the footsteps in the sand, تَدُلُّ عَلَى الْمَسِيرِ Indicates that somebody passed by here. والبحار ذات أمواج in the ocean with all the crashing waves والأرض ذات فزاج and the earth with the mountains and the valleys how can they not indicate to me على اللطيف الخبير Allah سبحانه وتعالى exists فيا عجبا كيف يعصى الإله أم كيف يجحده الجاحد ففي كل شيء له آية تدل على أنه واحد فيا عجبا how strange it is how strange it is كيف يعصى الإله how can people disobey Allah even stranger, am yajhadahul jahidu. How can someone deny he exists? So, fi kulli shayin lahu ayatun. In everything around me, I see an ayah, a sign. Tadullu ala anahu ahidu, which indicates he is the one Allah. So, if you have to look with that, the eye of Basira. So, everything is doing the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the other people are disobeying. Who are, the only thing out of sync in the entire creation is whom? Human beings. And how will there is, but there is, is it going to remain incorrect? Their behavior going to be, uh, it's out of sync for sure. A lot of them happening. The malaika said, Oh Allah, why are you creating such people? Right? They're going to create corruption and spill blood. So is that, is the zulm going to remain uh, unavenged? The mudroom is not going to get revenge. The dhalim is not going to get punishment. No, there is. There's a, you see a lot of failures are happening, all this injustice. But the fail-safe is there. What's the fail-safe? Yomuddin. Malik Yomuddin. Master of the Day of Judgment. So every mudroom will be rewarded for his patience and every dhalim will be punished unless Allah chooses to forgive. So you never forget that. That will set all the wrong aright. Whoever Allah... Disgrace is none can honor him in the life of Allah does whatever he wishes. There are two opposing groups that are disagreeing. Those who believe and those who disbelieve. This ayah was revealed about the three mushrikun, Utbah and his Shayba and Walid. Two uncles and then uh, two brothers and one and the nephew. They came forward and Rasulullah sent forth whom? In the battle of Badr. Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib, Ali bin Abi Talib, and Ubaidah radiallahu anhu. They're two groups, think, but this is عام, is general. There are two groups, those who believe, those who disbelieve. Those disbelievers, the garments of fire will be cut out for them. So cut out. Qutti'at means that it's custom made for them. It's not a standard template. Each one has a separately tailored qutti'at lahum. Cut out for them a garment of jahannam. Yusabbu min fawqi ru'usihim al-hameem. Boiling water will be poured over their heads. Allahumma fathna. Melting whatever is in their bellies. Along with their skin. Allah speaks about the skin. 
What does he speak about the skin? Huh? The skin will be replaced. Allah will continue to replace the skin with new skin. Okay, he ended it here for me. We can continue on, but this is such a sad ending. May Allah Ta'ala protect us from the fire of Jahannam. Wherever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the Jahannam, He also speaks about Jannah. And we ask from Allah Ta'ala protection from the fire of Jahannam. Allahumma jirna minan nar. Allahumma a'tiq riqabana riqaba abaina wa ummahatina wa uladina minan nar. May Allah Ta'ala protect us from the fire of Jahannam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us into Jannah. If you, it is very, you know, this is, it comes in the fiqh as well. When you are reciting the Quran, if you have with understanding, inshallah, you should never just make a ruku like this. Are you aware of that? There's actually a prohibition. The fuqah mentioned, if you're reciting the Quran, you're leading salah, the young hufaz were leading. That's why, you know, after you finish hajj, we should also learn the tarjuma as well. Even, I don't, even if the slide ends, the students remain the slide, they stop, they thought I wouldn't reach here. But uh, how can we end with this? See, Allah Ta'ala doesn't end there. What does He say after that? Yes, it was burning their bellies and their skins. It is, right? Yeah, it is ended. Okay. Their maqamir is like hammers will be hammering them down. If they want to escape, min hadith from iron. Every time they want to escape from Jahannam, min ghammin, because of the torture they're facing, they will be returned therein. And taste you the uh, torment of the fire. But after that, ayah 23, what's ayah 23? Verily, Allah will enter those who believe and do righteous actions, gardens underneath which rivers flow. They will be given um, ornaments and subhanAllah, means um, jewelry. Asawir means um, bangles. Min dhahab of gold, walu'luan in pearls. Walibasuhum fiya harir and their libas, their clothing will be of silk. Wuhudu ila tayyibin al qawl, they will be guided to beautiful words. Wuhudu ila surat al hamid, and they will be guided to the way of praise, the praiseworthy way. And we stop with that, ayah 24. So, this asawir min dhahab and lu'lu'a and harir, silk. They're specifically mentioned in hadith of Rasulullah that whoever will, amongst the males, will wear the silk of this world will be deprived of the silk of Jannah. And whoever wears the gold and lu'lu'a and pearls, uh, no, pearl, uh, the gold and silver bangles of this world, amongst the males, they will be deprived in the Jannah. Whereas, the, it, these are permissible for the females. Silk and gold is permissible for females, not for males. And... Uh, there's another discussion here, bangles. Somebody will say, well, is it, is, is it, if that's specific for females, why are males wearing bangles? Because we are in that era where males are adopting female dress and females are adopting male dress and this is the month for celebrating that and all of that is happening. The curse of Allah and the males who adopt the dress and similitude of the females and the women who dress and act like males. So wearing bangles, isn't that a female uh, jewelry? Why is a male wearing it? So the response to that is that um, 
crowns and these bangles, they were worn by males as well, by royalty, by kings. Not generally. So, just like when Suraqa ibn Malik, the great horseman, he went out to get the award. Whoever catches Muhammad sallallahu hundred camels, bring him dead or alive. At the time of Hijrah. We know the story. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Abu Bakr was leaving from the cave and they were going, what happened? Suraqa ibn Malik found them. He started charging on his horse. Then what happened? Started sinking. He said, oh, I make tawbah, let me go. Then when it was released. Then he charged again, caught three times. The munkirin, those who reject the miracles, they say, oh, it was like, uh, you know, swampy land. It wasn't swampy land, right? It was a miracle. And the third time, Rasulullah said, oh, Suraha, when are you going to get it? You are still struggling to accept Islam and see this open miracle. I, I foretell the time when you will be wearing what? The bangles of the Kisra, the Persian emperor. And he was saying, what in the world? You're, you're, you're getting kicked out of Makkah. You're on, you're being, I don't want to use the word kicked out. It's a very derogatory word. But he was expelled from Makkah. And he was, na'udhu billah, you know, the people of Makkah were expelling him. He was forced to migrate. And uh, he's running for his life at this point, frankly. And he's saying, you're going to be wearing the bangles of Persia? How, Persia is a superpower. He didn't, uh, it didn't register. But then, fast forward many years, what happens? During the Khilafat of Umar Fathum Madain, the capital of the Persian Empire was conquered and the treasures that they had amassed for centuries was sent in a caravan to Medina with guard, front guard, rear guard, whole caravan loaded with gold, silver, diamonds, jewelry. And then they brought it with a list and then they brought it and they piled it up in the courtyard of Masjid Nabawi. They never saw that in their lives. They never imagined such a wealth. And then when they went through it, they said, there's something missing. Because the Prophet ﷺ had prophesied, where are the Bengals? Then they searched and then they found it, yes. Then they brought Suraqa and he, he wore it for a moment to fulfill the prophecy of Rasulullah then it was returned to the Bayt al-Mal. He didn't take it home. <laughs> so this is something worn by the kings and this is how they will be wearing, inshallah, they will be wearing in Jannah. They will be guided to the beautiful words. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be amongst Ahlul Jannah. Now this is what? A better ending, right? Inshallah. The, the pearls of Jannah, the silk of Jannah. If we protect ourselves from the haram, then we will be worthy of the halal. If we protect ourselves from the haram music of today, we will hear the music of the malaika in the hordes of Jannah. We protect ourselves from the haram uh, gazes of the opposite gender, then Allah will grant the beautiful maidens of Jannah. Right? So, protect ourselves from the haram wine of today, Allah will give the beautiful wine in Jannah. So this is a short test, short period of time, and then the everlasting, inshaAllah. But in the long run, it will not even feel, right? Like anything. The person who had the most difficult, most challenging, most difficult life ever, had misery, calamity, test, and trial, torture, and Allah Ta'ala will give him, give a flyby quick tour of Jannah. Jibreel Islam will take him. When he comes, then Allah will ask him, how was your early life? What will he say? Lam ara sharran qattu, I never had a single pain in my life. It was the, which one? Worldly life. He forgot everything. The person who had luxury, grew up in the lap of luxury, and all, never had a headache his whole life, never had any tension. Allah will tell him, take a quick tour of Jahannam. Quick flyby tour, come back. How was worldly life? Lam ara khayran qattu, I never saw any good in my life. So this whole worldly life, beginning to end, is absolutely inconsequential. With respect to the day of judgment itself, forget about the whole akhirah. 
خمسين ألف سنة 50,000 year long day so let us not it's the utter foolishness to put the everlasting eternal life in hereafter at jeopardy because of this fleeting temporary pleasure may Allah Ta'ala protect us from that وآخر دعوان الحمد لله رب العالمين inshallah the adhan will be called salah after salah I believe there is um, tea and snacks for all the brothers to enjoy jazakumullah khairan wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh